The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Today, August 21st, 2017, is the long-anticipated day of the great American eclipse, a solar eclipse whose path slashes across the country from the northwest to the southeast. Nostradamus enthusiast John Hogue has already written a book about it, titled The Great American Eclipse, Earthquake, and Tsunami. Hogue notes that the eclipse will pass, quote, over four of some of America's most dangerous seismic and tsunami-generating quake zones. They are the Cascadia Subduction Zone in the Pacific Ocean. That's the one along the Oregon, Washington, and British Columbian coasts. The dormant supervolcano in Yellowstone National Park. The New Madrid Fault Line in Missouri near the Mississippi River. And finally, the earthquake-prone Charleston, South Carolina area along the Atlantic coast. Hogue goes on to predict that Quote, if the pattern of seismic activity seen in the great eclipses of 1999 and 2009 is repeated in the great American eclipse of 2017, then either one or a series of potential major quakes of magnitude 6 to a megathrust of magnitude 9 could happen a week to three months after the eclipse. A second wave of seismic episodes of the same potential magnitude could follow 8 to 18 months after the eclipse. Less frequent but no less damaging episodes of quakes and tsunamis could take place as late as 2 to 5 years after the moon's shadow uh, on 21 August 2017 had touched future epicenters inside these four seismically sensitive zones, unquote. If it seems alarmist to think that the shadow of an eclipse could have any such effect, remember the moon by itself exerts such a gravitational effect that it causes the ocean tides. Combine the pull of the sun and moon together, even for just a few minutes uh, alignment, and that represents an unusually powerful pull with the possibility of long-term consequences. For example, the solar eclipse of February 26, 1979, passed directly over the Mount St. Helens volcano, which violently erupted uh, some 15 months later. And now with the fracking deposits uh, uh, now uh, lubricating so many minor earthquakes in the path of today's eclipse, could major earthquakes be the after result of this eclipse? Meanwhile, astrologers are commenting that the timing and location of this eclipse bodes ill for Donald Trump's future as president. In an AOL.com article titled, Astrologers Warn Upcoming Solar Eclipse Could Spell Disaster for Trump, writer Alexander Lasker notes um, that uh, Wade Caves, an astrological consultant who published a lengthy analysis of the upcoming solar eclipse in its relation to Donald Trump's presidency, points out that there uh, was a total lunar eclipse when Trump was born on June 14, 1946, which Caves believes makes him uh, more susceptible to the power of the moon. 
the RNC put Donald Trump's name forward on a lunation. In this case, a full moon, Cave says, linking the two events. On election day itself, Mars was hovering in the final degree of Capricorn, precisely where we find the moon in this nomination chart. These helped and aided Trump, but the wind at his back gave him weapons he could use because he has these chart features natally, a full moon and Mars in the final degrees of a sign. Now, Alaska writes, goes on, although Caves claims that star and planetary alignment have aided the president's career thus far, he cautions that disaster may loom just over the horizon for Trump because of the upcoming eclipse. Caves notes that the position of the August 21st eclipse, that's today's eclipse, in relation to the star Aljaba, which is located in the main of the constellation Leo, typically, quote, brings loss and danger, unquote, which in the case of a military officer such as the commander-in-chief could mean, quote, danger of mutiny and murder by his soldiers. A second reason this eclipse might be significant for President Trump is because it's happening while the sun is in Leo. In an article for wellandgood.com, astrologer Stephanie Iris Weiss explains that in ancient astrology, Leo eclipses are connected with the fall of kings, which may seem relevant enough to Cave's prediction on its own. But when this historical fact is viewed in conjunction with Trump's natal or birth chart, Weiss says things get only weirder. Quote, to get technical for a minute, she writes, this eclipse is at 28 degrees of Leo, the sign of kings. Trump's ascendant, or rising sign, the place where his chart begins, is at 29 degrees of Leo. So that's considered an exact match. The eclipse is also just a couple of degrees from his Mars. Mars is the sign of anger, aggression, rage, violence, and power. Newsweek notes that astrologer Marjorie Orr pointed out last November, right after Trump was elected, that the upcoming solar eclipse is part of a group of celestial events referred to as the Saros series. According to Orr, the Saros series has included eclipses in 1909, 1927, 1945, 1963, 1981, and 1999, all years which coincide with major political events, including President Bill Clinton's impeachment, the attempted assassination of President Ronald Reagan, the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt's death, and the attempted assassination of President William Taft. And Duncan Steele, in his 2001 book Eclipse, The Celestial Phenomenon That Changed the Course of History, Steele reports that accounts of the death of Jesus Christ have depicted a so-called crucifixion eclipse. So could earth changes and political immorality somehow be interrelated? Well, the ancients certainly thought so. You'll remember the story of King Oedipus from ancient Greece, who by mistake murders his father and marries his mother. It ties the destruction of the land and the suffering of the people to the moral failure of the king. But whether the results of the great American eclipse are political earthquakes, physical earthquakes, or both, 
Solar eclipses, historically, have implied a form of cosmic judgment and punishment. So that's why I thought this show would be the appropriate time to talk about the notion of judgment and punishment in the afterlife for what we do here on Earth. In last week's program, I said most Christian denominations have not embraced near-death experiences for a number of reasons. First, I guess, because uh, especially for fundamentalists, um, NDEs see uh, salvation as universal throughout all cultures and religions. In other words, you don't have to be a Christian to go to heaven. That certainly could be uh, reason enough for some of the more fundamental sects. But second, the number of Christians who believe in reincarnation more than doubles for those uh, people who've who've gone through NDEs. Um, current statistics based on, uh, I've forgotten what survey it was, said about 24% of Christians believe in reincarnation. But that uh, belief more than doubles to more than 60% among those who experience an NDE. Church fathers of the 6th century dropped reincarnation from the teachings of the church. Uh, third, most NDEers believe God is too loving not to forgive our shortcomings and the evil we do others during our lives on earth, which conflicts, of course, with some of the biblical teachings about judgment. Uh, for example, Jesus himself taught that punishment awaits those who do not practice love. In Luke 16, 19-26, uh, Jesus tells this story. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side, so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Or, looking at uh, judgment stories, this one comes from uh, Matthew 13, Verses 24 through 30. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, 
First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Or this from Matthew 25. This is uh, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you and see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Well, whether described in terms of uh, charity slash love, because uh, these are all stories about loving one another, or described in terms of karma, as you'll find with a Hindu, or distractions in the bardo, as described in the Buddhist uh, Buddhist texts, or the weight of your soul compared to a feather, as you hear in, from Islam. Nearly all religions describe cosmic measures for how we will be judged, rewarded, or punished. One persuasive argument for why such a judgment would appear unreasonable is the unfairness of life itself. Our psychology, upbringing, financial situation, health, religion, and luck, uh, whether we have advantages or disadvantages, um, give us um, a situation in our lives that uh, are, are grossly unequal. Yeah? And our chances for practicing love or meanness in our lives is often determined by the circumstances that we're given. And so it seems very unfair that we should all be judged in the same way. But here's where reincarnation can level the playing field. If earth life is designed to offer all the information and practice and opportunity we need to sort out 
if we're going to be uh, considered greedy or consider being loving, weed or weeds in other words, sheep or goats, then we are each on a level playing field of our own making under the circumstances of reincarnation. Look at it this way. Under reincarnation, each life you live becomes a chapter in the book you are writing, the book by which you will be judged. In that case, even Hitler's life would be uh, just one chapter in the book his soul is writing. Near-death experiencers will still argue against the notion of judgment based on what they witnessed on the other side. There, many of them experienced immense beauty and even the unspeakable love of the light of God. Some have even walked and talked with Jesus during their visit there. So isn't this the final glorious heaven to which we are all bound? Well, to gain some perspective on this, uh, let's turn back to uh, Ur's near-death experience in uh, Plato's story in the book of the, Re- the Republic. The soldier Ur tells, tells this story in the Republic. He said that when his soul left the body, he went on a journey with a great company. Those people, he was soldiers. These were all soldiers killed in battle. But, of course, others who had died. And that they came to a mysterious place at which there were two openings in the earth. These openings were near together, and over against them were two other openings in the heaven above. In the intermediate space, there were judges seated who commanded the just after they had given judgment on them and had bound their sentences in front of them to ascend by the heavenly way on the right hand. And in like manner, the unjust were bidden by them to descend by the lower way on the left hand. So this is a judgment that uh, that comes Im- immediately at the point of um, crossing the field and, and uh, arriving at... Um, um, place well arriving at a place of judgment the story goes on to describe a temporary state of rewards for the good punishment for the bad and this description could be related to reports we get from those who who have had distressing near-death experiences uh, what we call dndes in any case this this uh, state of reward and punishment is temporary because the good and the bad reconvene after a while in a beautiful field, which often is also described by N.D. years, and they socialize before they go on to their reincarnations into new lives. Um, they talk about the ones who were punished, about their experiences in, in a bad place, and those who were rewarded tell them the stories about that. Now, the experience described here could be based on the life review um, I think experience, experienced, uh, and described by many end years. Experience beyond that point is usually cut off by the admonition that the near-death experiencer must return to his or her body, uh, something that was not, um, uh, insisted upon by, uh, the, er, the soldier in, in Plato's story because he was uh, sent back to, uh, bear witness to it, every part of, um, what happens to us between the time we die and the time we're reincarnated? Well, you know, I, as a as a chaplain, I've heard and, of course, have read many hundreds of near-death experience stories. And one, one of the things that strikes me is how each story, while sharing some universal elements, can be so personal. It's as if the heaven or hell they've seen 
the experiencer has seen was personally designed just for their edification. Everyone would agree, I think, that NDEs are an amazing gift. But it could could it be that an individually designed gift, personally created for that experiencer alone, is what we're hearing about when we hear about the details of each NDE. And there was a one person that I um, interviewed on this show, can't remember which one it was, who said that she, as she was walking along with a guide during her NDE, happened to look back and saw that the scene they were walking through, this beautiful scene they were walking through, the sky, a beautiful sky, uh, was disappearing behind them. It's almost as if it was a virtual reality created uh, just for her. Anyway, um, in this case, if these are individually designed heavens for our edification, even DNDEs are created to be a teaching experience. And so it's not an exact picture of what we'll see when we finally do leave these bodies of ours and cross over to, to the other side. Now here's something else to consider. The Bible describes two different judgments. The first is called the Bema judgment. The second is called the White Throne Judgment. So let me tell you about those two uh, forms of judgment. The Bema Judgment is the judgment of Christ. And many Christians believe it's the final judgment for Christians only. In other words, Christians figure they'll get a break for their bad behavior on account of their faith. And perhaps they will. But they are thinking that the Bema Judgment is taking place at the same time as the white throne judgment. But that's not really what Paul tells us. Paul, who had an NDE himself, by the way, describes the Bema judgment in 2 Corinthians 5, 10, uh, verse 10, this way, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So first of all, Paul suggests that uh, this judgment is not for Christians only because he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Second, this is not a judgment based on faith, but on what we have done in the body, whether good or evil. What the Bema judgment could be describing, though, based on what we've learned through NDEs, is that the life review judgments we experience uh, may be, between our lives on earth, may be the judgment of Christ. These life review judgments, which ha- would happen between each lifetime, are not meant to be, uh, are, are rather are meant to be instructive so that our souls will be more attuned to practicing love and uh, rather than doing evil in our next life. Jesus is, after all, all about love, and this would be a loving instruction indeed. Faith is not the deciding factor in the white throne judgment either. This judgment is based on what we have done, good and evil in our lives, and it implies a finality based on the book we have written with each chapter a separate lifetime. So here's a description of the white throne judgment. It comes from Revelations 20, 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged out of these things, which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Well, I've often wondered about those books that were opened along with the book of life, but in this analogy I'm drawing of each life becoming a chapter in your book, that would explain what that was all about. For those of you who think these last two programs, the one I did last week on reincarnation and and, um, and uh, this one on judgment were too Bible-oriented, well, just bear in mind, uh, my original goal, as stated in last week's program, is to demonstrate how the various faiths and denominations might find it possible to incorporate near-death experiences and the revelations they contain into traditional church beliefs. Um, I might as easily have talked about Gaia judgment, the way Mother Nature might be calling on the Yellowstone caldera <laughs> with the Great American Eclipse to wipe out the earthborne infection known as humanity. You know, that's uh, that's a totally different way of looking at it that might actually be more in keeping with uh, uh, our, our NDE New Age vision of um, of God's love and the Earth's judgment. And while uh, the caldera might, uh, and wiping out humanity might seem like an exaggeration, a super explosion would certainly put a dent in life in the United States. Equally devastating could be a bad earthquake in the New Madrid Fault Zone. I'll give you a quote from an article that appeared in the June 23, 2016 Atlantic magazine. It said in part, The source of FEMA's anxiety is the fabled New Madrid Seismic Zone. In the winter of 1811 and 1812, three earthquakes of magnitude 7 and possibly as high as 7.7 and countless punishing aftershocks thereafter rocked the sparsely inhabited frontier of the American Midwest. The earth had slipped somewhere deep under the frontier settlement of New Madrid, Missouri, and the resulting earthquakes opened up chasms, diverted the Mississippi, threw trees to the ground and landslides into the river. It created temporary waterfalls and lasting lakes. Meanwhile, existing lakes were turned inside out as cracks in the ground spewed volcanoes of sand and water into the air. Boatmen caught in the maelstrom said the Mississippi appeared to run backwards. The quakes woke New Yorkers, rang church bells in Charleston, South Carolina, and in Boston buzzed bemused Toronto residents a country away and brought down chimneys from St. Louis to Cincinnati. Because the deep rock in the middle of the continent is older and colder than out west, strong shaking was felt over an area ten times that of the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. And uh, the article noted that an alarmed President James Madison even wrote Thomas Jefferson from Washington, D.C. about the tremors. Of course, there was practically nothing built in that area in those days. Now we're looking at uh, St. Louis and uh Extensive, the extensive surroundings that uh, the new Madrid fault might bring down. So 
if there's at all uh, truth to the to this notion of, of uh, hoax that um, being in the pathway of the total eclipse means um, seismic judgment later on, well, then uh, I guess we have to wait and see. Uh, in the meantime, to go back to judgment, I want to make one final note. All of this judgment was not about the rules and regulations of religion. Uh, no matter what religion you belong to, this judgment is going to be based on your capacity to be charitable and loving, empathetic, compassionate, forgiving. And I think we could all agree on that. I think all religions, at their essence, agree on that. I think um, uh, non-religious can see the value, the importance uh, of that. And so in this time of turmoil and war, uh, talk about uh, advancing the troop levels in Afghanistan and going on, on the same path that we've always been on, it's time to review, rethink, and learn to love. That's the message that we get from NDEs. It's a religion. It's religion's message as well. And I hope that uh, in the future, the uh, religious, the churches will begin to see the value of incorporating personal mystical experience uh, of their congregants and of others into their teachings. Well, that's all that we have time for today. My thanks to the websites I've referenced, and if you'd like to listen to this show again or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. For information on IANS, check out their website at iands.org, and join us again next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.